1: What is up, Bits of Gold fam? How have you all been? It's been a while and we are back. We'll be back to a one week cadence every single week, new episode dropping and I could not be more excited. I know we've taken a little bit of time off here, really working to put out the best content possible and over the last month or so, we have recorded some incredible podcasts, some incredible stories that I am so excited to share with you today. It is my goal that in 2022, I share some incredible stories every single week of people who are building their dream life no matter what. I want you to leave every single episode feeling more inspired, feeling more able, feeling more connected, and feeling more confident that you too deserve and can build your dream life. With that, I'm so excited for this episode today. Today, my guest is Aaron Weed. Aaron is an expert helping people align their why with their words. As an author, speaker, and message strategist, she helps individuals and organizations clarify their purpose, simplify their message, and amplify their truth. Formerly, Erin was the founder and CEO of Girls Fight Back, a company that conducts women's safety seminars across the world. It was founded in 2001 in response to the murder of Erin's college friend and sorority sister, Shannon McNamara. Formerly, Erin was the founder and CEO of Girls Fight Back, a company that conducts women's safety seminars across the world. It was founded in 2001 in response to the murder of Aaron's college friend and sorority sister, Shannon McNamara. She has spoken to over 1 million people at live events worldwide and has been featured in the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, and was named Cosmo Girl of the Year. Aaron helps people understand the unique power of our stories, the lessons we learn from them, and the universal truths that tie humanity together. She is here today to help us seek our purpose and speak our truth. I could not be more excited to drop this one today. I met Erin when I was in college. I was referred to her. I was connected to her. And I got on a plane my senior year of college, flew to Denver. I was in Syracuse at the time and did a session with her, did a workshop with her. And it was incredible. We dive into a little bit of what I learned and the outcome of my session and my time with her. And what's incredible is now, you know, almost eight years later, the work that I did with her still is true and consistent in my life today. With that, enjoy the show. Aaron Weed, it is so great to see you. Welcome to the Bits of Gold podcast, aka the Build Your Dream Life podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the show today.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: You know, we haven't spoken in a long time, but as I mentioned prior to getting on this, I uh, am currently traveling, but normally at home in my small apartment in New York City, I have a little shelf and right on there are my sticky notes from our dig and build is my word. It's actually pretty funny timing because I recently was going through like an old bin with some of my work and cleaning out my childhood home, and that's where I found the sticky notes. And I took them back out, and I put them on the shelf, and I keep the word built. Right next to that actually is also like this little coin that I have that says Memento Mori, which is like the reminder you're going to die. And those are the two themes that are so paramount and so much my truth. And I'm just really excited to have you on to share your story who you are, what you do, how you help people, how you help me. And yeah, I'm I'm just really excited.
0: Thank you. Well, let's dig in, shall we?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, maybe just we can go back to wherever the beginning is for you. And I'm sure the people who are tuning in are going to be asking themselves at this point, like, what is the dig? What is the dig word? So I'd love to take it back to wherever it's the beginning for you.
0: Yeah. The dig has been just kind of an evolution of what I've learned in my life and just to kind of answer those questions for the people who are wondering that the dig is a method for basically somebody tells me their life story. And out of that, I extract the biggest themes that are operating. And those themes are just one word each. And together, they form an operating system. And this operating system I look at is kind of like the most custom personality profile one could ever have. And within this operating system, there's one word, as Dan said, uh, his word is build. But that one word that's almost like the captain of the team, and they're calling the shots. So anyway, this is like a whole system through which somebody could just have total clarity about who they are, why they're here, what they're here to do, and how to succinctly express that, and really get it down to a distilled level. Because when we talk about life purpose and what we're here to do, it could just get so meta so fast, you can't even grasp it anymore. So the dig allows people to kind of bring it down to earth. So that's kind of my current work, but you asked how this all began. Well, um, so my background, I'm from Chicago originally, went to college at Eastern Illinois University. And uh, after I graduated college, moved to New York City, always wanted to be a TV producer and uh, specifically documentaries. And so I moved there, but I hadn't been working in documentaries for even a year when I learned that one of my closest friends, who was also one of my sorority sisters, was murdered back at Eastern Illinois University where I went to college. And it was just kind of one of those total life shift moments. I was 22 at the time. My friend's name was Shannon McNamara. And it was just one of those situations where she's sleeping in her college apartment and somebody broke in in the middle of the night and she fought like hell. So I ended up starting a company called Girls Fight Back because Shannon ultimately fought back against her killer and It was the fight that captured him and convicted him. And so she's my heroine. And I realized after that happened that young women, especially in that 16 to 22 high-risk group, so often just don't have practical personal safety, violence prevention, and self-defense education. And if they do get it, in a lot of cases, it's delivered in such a way that's kind of scary, fear-based, not empowering. And I didn't like that. I wanted women to just live their best life and just know how to defend themselves almost like a skill like you know how to swim. You don't jump into a pool if you don't know how to swim. Why are we walking through a world that has so much violence against women? We don't know how to fight. You know, so I looked at it with a very pragmatic view and Girls Fight Back essentially became a one-woman show that was a 90-minute assembly that I gave at high schools and colleges after i had gotten a ton of self-defense training. So I was qualified by that point to put together just the most distilled lessons and techniques and approaches that could help everyday women in a short amount of time. And so this assembly, because we would often give them to thousands of people at a time packed into a high school gym, it just ended up kind of just becoming very popular. So for 12 years, I was on the road, speaking, traveling, doing media interviews, training other girls fight back speakers around the world, and uh, ultimately sold that company in 2013.
1: Let's just go backwards for a second. So one of your best friends, one of your sorority sisters, you find out she was murdered. I presume at this point, it sounds like you were, you were working full time. What led to this like tremendous change? And was it, I'm so curious, I guess, was it a change overnight? How, how old were you at that point when, when also this all came about?
0: Yeah, I was 22 or 23 and the easy answer is that I got fired from my job. Okay. I was working at, at a production company, but we were working on a history channel production at the time, and I essentially got fired for being gone too long for the wake and the funeral.
1: Oh, wow.
0: I mean, it was, it was just one of those like horrific situations, but you know, you're in New York. Sometimes just certain industries are pretty cutthroat and I think it was perfect because I found myself in one of those life gutters, if you will, where you just have a different perspective on the choices you want to make in your life. Yeah. When you lose your job and you lose your friend. And three months to the day that Shannon was murdered, 9-11 happened. And I was commuting to the World Trade Center every single day after I'd gotten fired because I got a temp job at Miramax Films downtown in Manhattan. So the amount of tragedy interpersonally but also on this bigger national international level was just shaking me to my core and i i knew i had to do something else i knew the universe was guiding me to not to not just follow the path that i thought i was following but that there was something brand new
1: were you terrified of making that change or making that big jump i speak to so many people who were in their early 20s early 30s late 20s early 30s and i guess the theme of change comes up quite a bit where And I'm sure like you've seen this or have heard it a lot, but like, oh, I've dedicated the first decade of my life to this thing or this task or this business or this career path, but it's not what's calling me anymore. And I guess a lot of times I feel people are met with a tremendous amount of resistance of actually embarking on that change because it's so scary. It's terrifying. There's so much unknown. It sounds like in your case, you you sort of just like jumped right on in and never looked back. How did you navigate
2: that?
0: Well, I do think there's a beauty of options being taken away from you. And sometimes our failures are doing us a favor because we don't have as many choices. Like I think for me to stay in the television production industry at that point would have actually been really hard. But at that moment, what was feeling fun and empowering and interesting and needed was to do something totally different. So I didn't have the experience of a lot of fear in that sense. But I'll also tell you that living through 9-11 and living through a close friend's murder completely changes your opinion of what fear is. Mm. It's no longer like, oh, how am I going to pay my bills? Like not to say that that's not important. It is, but it's just way more life and death than like being afraid of making the wrong career move.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I still think it's, it's harder to actually put into, and I'm curious, like if you'd agree or disagree with this, but I think a lot of people, maybe they lived through something like significant, my own personal story. I lost my dad when I was 20, my mom when I was 25. And sometimes even even though I have this like tremendously different perspective on life than I previously had, sometimes it's still, it's still hard to actually sometimes take the action, make the change and like commit to whatever that person is trying to commit to.
0: Yeah, it can be hard. And I feel like sometimes we get stuck in unnecessary ruts of hardness, <laughs> if you will. You know what I mean? It's like, Sometimes when I start feeling like things are hard, I ask myself, is it really hard? Or is there something else behind this? Am I making this hard for a reason? Do I, on some level, not really want to do this? Or is this not the right time? Mm. I tend to honor resistance. But I had no resistance when it came to Girls Fight Back. I will also say, was that company, for better and for worse, was based 100% on adrenaline, you know?
1: Yeah, I was listening to, like, podcast or an interview that you were, you were a part of. And um, I noticed that you mentioned about really leaning into ease. I really enjoyed that perspective, how you could speak to it, but how you lean into things that are easy or come of ease Seemed like you felt that that's more the universe telling you, you know, lean more into that.
0: Totally. I very much believe in ease, not easy. Like just in for the listeners listening, like, I feel like sometimes you can experience great ease in the midst of great difficulty like the feeling of ease like so let's take let's take after Shannon's murder for example I can't think of many times in my life that have been more horrible than that and not just the murder but then the trial and a lot of other horribleness that goes along in the aftermath with that stuff and yet in the same moment doors were swinging open for me left and right <laughs> I mean I was getting booked on national media shows. This was kind of pre-social media. It was 2001. I feel like such an old person saying that. It really didn't. It wasn't a thing, you know? And so everything was very old school. It was like you pitched to PR agents to get on TV shows. It was really hard. You didn't have the access. You weren't essentially a a human publishing network back then. And yet I was getting incredible opportunities. I was meeting John Walsh, the founder of America's Most Wanted. I was named Cosmo Girl of the Year by Cosmo Girl Magazine. I mean, I was getting book deals and speaker agents. I have no idea. I was working my ass off, that's for sure. I was following every lead, but the ease and the support that I was getting from the universe and also people around me. Hmm. I think sometimes when people talk about their success stories, they forget to mention all of their privileges or their support systems that they just kind of take for granted. And I'm no longer married to this man named Peter but at the time like he completely supported me. He completely allowed me to focus on the mission and not have to worry on worry about, you know, just day-to-day kinds of things. So so there's something to that as well.
1: So I want to before we jump into like how the digs come about and like the incredible work that you've done there and continue to do there. How long were you building girls fight back for?
0: So it was between 2001 and 2013, so 12 years total.
1: Just in terms of the reach, I know like you met or spoke with and trained like thousands of people, correct?
0: Yeah, I stopped counting after a decade. Um, exactly. And at that point, I had spoken in front of a million people at live events. So it's wow. just a lot of humans. It's, it's not considered necessarily a lot of views on YouTube, but it's a lot of human beings to be in front of. Yeah. yeah.
1: Do you ever think about specifically like around loss and you know, you, you live through this tremendous loss It makes you take a step back and change your entire perspective, the way you view the world, your day to day, or, you know, like your life's calling, your life mission at that moment in your life. As someone who lost both my parents young, I think about that juxtaposition and the bizarreness. That's really the only word that I can think of right now. Like sometimes the most painful moments in your life lead you to sort of this aha moment or this moment of awakening or this moment where you wake up. And in your case, like I think about like you just said literally you spoke to over a million people the impact mm-hmm. that you've had but you lost someone so significant in your life i'm curious what like you make of that or what do you think of that because it's something that really is is on my mind quite often as it relates to just one of the very bizarre things with loss is really how like personally me i've lived through two significant losses and when i lost my dad it's like it gave me these learnings in that moment and then when i lost my mom it was another sort of reawakening or this aha moment in my life where it really made me take a step back and really have an entirely new perspective on life. And that perspective is what I'm so grateful for today. And I'm curious, like, what do you make of all that?
0: Yeah, I agree with you on the perspective. And, and Dan, I've learned a lot from you around just this idea of seizing the day and understanding we don't have all the time that we think that we have. And I do feel like, especially when these things happen to us in our 20s and we go through those kinds of epic losses there's almost like this now or never kind of feeling that becomes the new normal. And I feel like for most part, that's a good thing. But I'll also say the dark side of that, at least for me, was that I burnt out. I went really hard, really fast for a long time. And kind of like from this place of legacy, wanting to preserve Shannon's legacy, wanting to probably build my own legacy too in the process. And then... I developed an anxiety disorder along the way, you know, this combination of not sleeping, traveling 250 days a year. After every speech I'm giving, I have like a hundred people waiting in line to talk to me. And for any speakers out there who've done some speaking and have had that experience, you know that they're not lining up to ask you questions. They're lining up to tell you their own stories mm-hmm. of trauma and loss and hardship. And if a person isn't, doesn't have some kind of training around how to process that, it can really start to fry you a little bit. And so I kind of almost had to learn in my 20s about that the hustle and the legacy and all these big life lessons around death and don't have much time. And it was more like the second part of my 30s and now I'm in my 40s that I'm starting to learn about peace and slowness and less versus more.
1: I love that. So how do you start doing you know, these digs and you start working with people one-on-one and helping them find their their purpose, their word. How does that all come about?
0: Yeah. And just as Girls Fight Back kind came of came about and just these the series of events that unfolded, I kind of feel like my whole professional life has. Basically, I started to realize in the last year I owned Girls Fight Back, I just started to realize that it wasn't done, but it was kind of done with me. And I was kind of done with it, but I knew that it still had life. And so I was able to transition the ownership of it to my speaker agent at the time, which was amazing because then it continued and I was able to be free to do something else. And so when that happened, I started to think about as a 36-year-old, okay, now what do I want to be when I grow up? And I didn't have a lot of answers. And I also had just recently became a mom. So I was starting to make life choices through the lens of being a parent as well. The one thing I knew I knew how to do was be on stage and hold the attention of people who don't want to be there and make a point in a short amount of time for big outcome. I know how to do that. Mm. And so the logical place to go with that was TED. So TED was really starting to become very popular, TED and TEDx events. And we had one a TEDx Boulder in my town. I live in Boulder, Colorado. And so I just, I volunteered which I'm a huge fan of, of encouraging people who want to start businesses or get into something, just, just be the best volunteer they've ever seen and try to decide if that's for you. So I started coaching for free some of the speakers for TEDx Boulder, and they started going viral. So then they started, they were
2: super gracious. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
0: People and they just started talking about me in this weird way that I would help them develop their talks, and that basically turned into my business. Was all these referrals from all these really, really some of them were famous and very well known people. I barely had a website at that point doing this (laughs) stuff. Like if you Googled me at that time, I was still like a professional ass kicker. (laughs) And so I just started taking clients, but very quickly I realized, oh. What I'm doing actually is very applicable to people who have talks to give, but what I'm actually doing is helping them get epic clarity of who they are, what they stand for, and how to express it. It turns really well into a talk, but this is probably a lot more soulful than speaker coaching. And so it took me years. I've been doing the dig, I call it, is this method. And um, I've been doing it now for almost a decade. And it's taken me all this time to kind of document what is it about this method that's helping people go viral, helping them build these big companies and brands and all sorts of good things happening? And I, frankly, I'm still deciphering it, but I think the main thing is getting it down to that word so that you can focus and own it and align with it.
1: When you started developing the dig and coaching, I guess, did you have some program that you like thought out and whiteboard or you, know, you like sticky notes, like sticky carded, or uh, was it more just like a, a natural result of? Everything you knew, everything you experienced, everything you've been doing the last 12 years or so of your life, and sort of taking that and giving it to whoever was, was
0: coming to you for help. It was mostly intuitive. It was having been on stage for so long, I knew what was going to be important. I knew also that audiences were evolving. Being on stage nonstop from 2001 to 2013, I saw audiences shift. And they shifted away from wanting speakers to be super polished and performed. That's how it used to be. But over time, audience started engaging better and wanting more of the authentic speaker, the honest speaker, the present speaker, even if they're totally flawed, imperfect. Audiences were loving it. And you know what I credit that to is the rise of reality television. Jersey Shore. <laughs> real world and people that started to become the new leadership and it's it's now even evolved into today. And so what I knew in, in a coaching capacity that it was less about me coaching them how to be on stage and more pulling out the pieces of them that felt most real because when someone is when someone is sharing their truth they light up. Mm. And when I can be a mirror and reflect back to the person the light that I'm seeing and they see it themselves and they Love it. And so many times after I work with somebody, they're like, well, we'll get like this whole strategy out for their speech. And it's just like on sticky notes right in front of their face. And and they'll say to me, like, I can talk about that all day long.
2: <laughs>
0: and my heart just melts. Cause so I'm like, that's because it's your truth. That's because it's, it's what you're here to learn. It's what you're here to teach. Of course, it's like your best friend meeting them for the first time in a long time.
1: It's really funny. I'm like laughing hearing you say that because." I think I came to you, I'm 28 now, almost 28 and a half. I still do the half thing, but um, That's very cute. <laughs> and, um, I came to you in Boulder when I was 20 and um,
2: mm,
1: wow, it's fascinating to think about how much in my life has changed, but how my word build is still, is still my word. I'm completely fascinated by that. And I think that's why when I when I was going through this bin in my home and I and I found my SIG cards, I took it back out and I went through all the words. And I was like, it's crazy that so much in my life has changed. That's giving me like grander perspective on the world, the way I live my life, the way I want to continue to build my life, unintended, I guess. But that's still my word. I'm curious so for someone just listening who might be trying to do some introspective work and find out like what is my my purpose or who wants to do like a, their own version of a dig, what would be your advice or your guidance to them to try to help navigate what is their purpose?
0: Well, in first to, to validate what you're saying around your word not changing, I've facilitated the dig for almost a thousand people at this point. And that's a lot of data points to work with. Mm. And out of those people that I personally dug, not a single person has ever changed their word in 10 years. And I don't share that from like a a sake of accomplishment. I share it from a sake of, wow, if this is true, that our word actually never changes, that truly is something that we could build our entire life around. Of all the uncertainties in the world, that's the one thing that we can count on. And that's the one thing that we can make choices, big choices stemming from. And they're probably gonna be like lead up to a life in alignment. So for part two of your question, What's something somebody can do who's listening to this to find your purpose? I would absolutely say find your word. But there's a caveat to that because I don't, this is a strong statement, but I don't think you can get there on your own. Mm. I'm all for self-help. I am all for digital courses. I'm all for that. I do all that stuff. and, And I create that stuff. But there is something about someone else witnessing you. Witnessing your patterns, witnessing your joys, your lows, your struggles, your strengths, your superpowers, your shadows, and from a completely neutral place, pulling themes out and showing them to you, and you recognize them. I'm willing to be swayed on that.
1: How important do you think the the neutral part is? Because I find that like oftentimes I think, and I've experienced this myself over the last decade of my life, it's like people who aren't coming from a neutral place, maybe family members or best friends who have the best intentions, you know, you go to them with advice or I'm trying to navigate this thing in my life and they give you their honest opinion based on the experiences that they've lived to date. And I've actually found that like family members or even best friends have given me the absolute worst advice. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, it's so, I think also a lot of people who aren't like a professional coach, they're not trained to help navigate a complex or a complicated situation. And they just say, hey, I think actually a lot of times people don't even say like for my own experience, a lot of times people just say, this is what you should do. And it's like, well, why, why should I do that? I've been interested in that for, for quite some time because like in the past, I've gone to like family members, hey, what do you think of this? And they give me advice and I say, I've come to realize that like going to family members has always been a disastrous mistake because the advice they give me never actually aligns with like what makes sense in my life.
0: Yeah, well, and it's probably because when people care about you in that way, they are invested. The investment is a beautiful thing, but it also is a cloud mm. from seeing you for who you really are and what you really need. And I care deeply about my clients. Like I often say, like, I, I fall in love with everybody, because like on a human level, they're just so gorgeous to me, you know, when they're showing up in that way, in that authentic way, and I am unattached. Yeah what their word is. I am unattached to what their operating system is. I am unattached. All I'm attached to is that it's true. Nothing else.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. And I think I think coaches in general, I think they're able to cut through kind of the the emotion and the bullshit and they're able to tell you, you know, not necessarily do this or do that, but like able to help you navigate those those tough questions that you're trying to ask yourself from a very unbiased standpoint.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: I wanna discuss the art project, art exhibit that you ended up doing. I guess take me back to like, how has art always been a big part of your life or how how does all that come about?
0: Yeah, it's actually kind of funny because back when I was starting Girls Fight Back in 2001, at that time, before Shannon was murdered, I was actually working on a company on the side, designing greeting cards. And I have these like little characters that I hand drew or whatever. And then when everything happened, I just totally shelved that whole art part of me.
1: That was your business?
0: I was trying to start the business. It was very, very much a side hustle at that point. But I shelved it completely to start Girls Fight Back. And so I've always kind of been artsy inclined, but I wouldn't say an artist. Like I said, I've been doing these digs for a really long time. And when I work with people in person, it's all on sticky notes. So I have thousands and thousands and thousands of people's sticky notes. Sometimes like you took yours with you, but a lot of times people just they want me to, to hold on to them. And so I put them in little sandwich bags and they're alphabetized. And they're it's like, it's one of my uh, OCD things that I do. The reason I, I take such good care of them is because they're so beautiful to me. Like it's people's lives in that sandwich bag. Like mm. <laughs> there's soul in there. Yeah. And so one day I had just done a dig for a company, which I also work within companies doing this. And so I was working with Google at the time doing a dig on them as a company. So I had been working with 3,000 people in this sector of Google. So I obviously had a ton of sticky notes lying around. I was like, what can I do with this? And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if I used like the life stories written on these notes and I spelled out their dig word with their story so that almost like across the room, you're looking at just like one big word. But as you zoom in, you really start to see what all the little pieces that add up to that bigger truth. Mm. And so for, I sat on it for literally three years because I just, I just couldn't justify the amount of time and energy. Like I'm a single mom, I'm an entrepreneur, and it's not going to make money, it's not going to, you know, like I just, I couldn't really justify it, but a lot of things aligned and I, I got an opportunity to do a show and I'm very responsive to deadlines. So I had like three weeks to pull this off and I ended up doing, I think like eight huge art pieces in a very short amount of time, telling people's stories through the lens of their dig work.
1: You did it at at an uh, art exhibit or?
0: Yeah. Is that a gallery here in Boulder?
1: Like what pushed you to like finally take the jump into doing it?
0: You know, I would actually credit a random stranger for it. I donated a dig to this particular gallery. It's a nonprofit artist residency and they loved my work. I told them about the idea. They loved it. They were like, you should do a show here. I was like, that'd be amazing. Bucket list, right? But couldn't justify it. Couldn't justify it. So I just kept pushing it off. And then I went to uh, an art class. Actually, at that gallery. It was like a Learn to Spray Paint 101. And I met this artist named Catherine, and, and she was like, Oh, you know, do you know this gallery? And I was like, Well, they offered me a show, and I have this idea, and I told her about it. I was like, But I just, you know, I can't pull it off. And she's like, You need to march into that gallery right now and set up that show because this art is coming through you for a reason, and it is your job to do it. So make it happen. This woman like schooled me. <laughs> And I was like, is this how people feel about me? (laughs) Because this is really helpful right now. And so I listened to this random woman, walked inside, picked a date. It happened to be on my 44th birthday that was coming up in a few weeks. I had a fairly low schedule for what I normally would have for the next few weeks after that. So I just cleared everything. And I was an artist for three weeks. And it was just the most beautiful time.
1: What words did you end up choosing? Or like, how do you end up choosing? You have thousands of... These digs. How do you end up choosing which words to do or which digs?
0: Yeah, it's such a good question. I did have a lot to choose from. You know, it started off as kind of a grief project, honestly, because the first piece I ever made was for a client of mine who had passed away, and uh, the dig word was help. His name was Austin Eubanks. He was a survivor of the Columbine shooting, injured survivor, and he went on to just experience a lot of addiction problems after that, and then got clean, started a treatment center. Everything was on the up and up. I worked with him on a TEDx talk all about overcoming emotional pain and trauma. He was on the stage of an, an event I do called Evoso Live. He was on stage with me like six weeks before he died of a heroin overdose. Mm. And um, I just really had a hard time with that one because I, I'm i just so invested in my people, not only with them as human beings, but also as their messages like that are coming through them. It's like I have a very maternal love for them. And um, so the help piece kind of, In the word help, a lot of the notes from his TEDx talk that we created was spelled out. And it's the irony with these dig words is that your word is the thing that you're best at. And it's also the thing you're worst at. It's your shadow and it's your superpower in the same moment. And with Austin, it's like he helped millions of people, millions to get the help that they need. And at the end of the day, he couldn't ask for help. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he died because of that. And like, it still wrecks me. And at the same moment, I just know like, he lived his, his lesson, mm. you know, like he really amplified what he was here to do, even if it doesn't feel like a win when someone dies in that way, yeah. you know, I'm proud of him though, like I'm proud of him, mm. he did it, so that was the first one, and I did a bunch, so I, d- I don't want to talk about all that, I don't I waste it, time. I but, but permission was another one, imagine beyond we, justice, and worth.
1: That's amazing. How are you spending your, your time today? What are you focused on? And I'm sure like over the last year, speaking in general is like a year and a half, two years, speaking in general has transformed pretty significantly. So what's changed in your life over the last like year and a half, two years? How are you spending your time today?
0: Yeah, um, it's a good question. Well, today I did a dig earlier. I work with companies. Well, I have one company in particular named uh, Pardone really that it's a portfolio of companies doing some pretty cutting edge stuff in the arts and entrepreneurship. And so it's kind of fun because I get to do lots of digs within an organization and then tie people's words together. So I'm the director of leadership development for that company. I run speaker masterminds. So there's small groups of people that want to go pro with their talks. And right now I'm running one that is a virtual speaker mastermind because of COVID has definitely changed the industry of public speaking. And I personally think the future, and frankly, the present, is hybrid events. And so I'm working with public leaders to get epic clarity of that core message, turn it into a 10-minute talk, and then make sure that you can deliver that in person or online in a way that just doesn't shake you because you have to be super flexible. And then the third thing I do is I also do The Dig for individuals. So anybody can sign up for The Dig. You can go to thedig.com if you're curious. And actually, later this year, I'm going to be certifying people to use the dig in their own work, because I feel like it's a great method for coaches, consultants, designers, anybody that really wants to know the soul of their client, it will save you so much time and energy and money trying to figure them out. And instead, you could actually get them where they want to go the first time. You're busy. (laughs) It is busy. It is busy. I will say I, I work about 25 hours a week.
1: What would you say? So I know you had mentioned like at the beginning, you know, in your early 20s, it was like hustle, hustle, go, go, go. And, you know, now later on in your life, you're, you're focused much more on slowing things down. It sounds like, you know, really doing less, but getting more out of that. What would you say are like the biggest transformation in terms of your own mindset or mentality around building your own business in your life from your early 20s to now?
0: Yeah, I think for me, having kids was a such a blessing in so many ways. But from a business standpoint, it taught me how to do a lot more with a lot less time. Mm-hmm. And it also had me focus on what was the most important things instead of just trying to do everything. I also have a bit of a perfectionism thing, especially when it comes to design and stuff like that. The artist in me wants to spend way too much time on things. So, but yeah, I, I, I work about 25 hours a week and that's a non-negotiable because I work when my kids are at school and when they're not at school, I'm not working. Hmm. So I definitely had to lean into what my superpowers are, own them completely, and build my company from that place instead of trying to make everything work.
1: That makes sense. I think, like, personally, I'm still trying to navigate, you know, how to do less and focus more on that less area. I think as like an entrepreneur, you're always, I actually am starting to believe that like that might be the biggest challenge because there's always opportunity and entrepreneurs tend to view things as... Uh, like instead of viewing it as a problem, it's just like opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. And a lot of things are really exciting.
0: Yes. And that's true. And one of the things that I've learned just being 44 now with two kids, it's almost like sometimes having a little less energy is a blessing because it it almost forces you to focus on, okay, these 20 things are exciting and important, but what are the three that are the most exciting and the most important?
1: Mm, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we can start to wrap up the show. Uh, You know, the Bits of Gold podcast is all about building your dream life. So with that, what would be your bits of gold on how to build a life you love?
0: Well, so my dig word is authentic. So I believe the best way to build a life that you love is to build the life that's true. So being really, really honest with yourself about what does your daily life look like and what are the goals that, Really set you on fire, not just the ones that sound good to somebody else, but the things you really care about and building your life around those things.
1: Where can people find you, connect with you, get in touch if they're interested in exploring a dig for themselves or their company?
0: Yeah, you can find more about me at AaronWeed.com. I'm also at AaronWeed on all the social networks and uh, The Dig specifically. You can find more about it at TheDig.com.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today.
0: Yeah, thanks, Danny. <laughs>
1: Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you like this episode, please take a minute, leave a review, share with a friend. Your support would really mean the world. I love your podcast. This is gold this is where it's at.